You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right, that was awesome, wasn't it? That's great. So loved it. Love hearing Brad and Jin Lin's story, and it's why we do what we do at Bayshore, the music we do, and the lights and everything we do here is to, is to reach people that uh, maybe haven't thought about the Lord in a long time. But anyhow, we're grateful that you're with us today for Easter and hope you are having a great weekend so far. And I want to say hello to our Femic Island campus that's watching us right now. Give Femic Island a big hand. Wow, love you guys. Thank you so much for watching us right now. We got another church in Femic Island that's experiencing this at the same time that we are, and we're grateful for that. And I just have to say the band killed it today. Didn't they, didn't they kill it today? I mean, that was like, wow. We could like go home now. It's just so good, but that was just incredible. But we're glad you're with us, and we're thankful, and everybody watching online. We have people watching online right now, and people are on vacation and campgrounds and camp, camp, uh, campers everywhere, but we're grateful that you're, you're watching us today. Uh, today, of course, is Easter, and we're going to be talking about Easter today, and I wanted to uh, entitle my message today, Unexpected Endings. I want to talk about how Easter is an unexpected ending. Uh, you know, when I think about Easter, it's like the biggest surprise of all time. It's like this whole thing happened that nobody really expected to happen, and it changed everything, changed history. Right now, you're here in Delaware, and people all over the world right now are worshiping Jesus because of this unexpected ending of Jesus being raised from the dead. And so it was a big surprise, an incredibly big surprise. And, uh, you know, there's good surprises in life. You know, we get good surprises. I recently, uh, Karen and I got our taxes done, went to our tax guy, and we were fully expecting this year to have to pay some money, thought we didn't maybe pay in enough. And by the way, if you haven't done your taxes, that's due this week, so you want to maybe think about that. But, uh, you know, we were thinking, oh, my gosh, it's, we're going to have to pay hundreds of dollars that we, didn't, we need to pay or whatever. We, we pay quarterly and all that, but we thought we were maybe short. And so we went to meet with our tax guy, and um, he said, well, you owe the state of Delaware $61, $61. So, you know, we figured we could handle that, you know, we'll skip the movies for a couple of weeks or whatever. So we could handle that. But then he said federal, and then our heart began to beat, you know, oh, my gosh, we're going to pay all this money to federal. And he said, you're getting Five hundred and sixty some dollars back from federal, and I never expected that. And I was like a good surprise, you know. I'm like, hey, that's incredible. And uh, so, you know, there's good surprises in life. You know, I remember when I turned fifty, um, you know, a little while back ago, and my my uh, wife Karen and my uh, two sons Tim and Joel, they took me to this uh, nice restaurant, in Ocean City. We're going up the elevator, uh, going up to the top floor of the restaurant, and when the doors open. It was a big surprise party for me. The whole church was there. We rented the whole restaurant, and uh, everybody, you know, gave me Ben Gay and all that. It was like really uh, an interesting, you know, night. But it was a great surprise. I loved it. It was so wonderful. You know, you get those wonderful surprises in life that are so good. And then they are negative surprises, you know, surprises that aren't so good, things that really you weren't expecting, you know, like you get that, uh, you get that ticket you know, in the mail, you know, you ever get one of those tickets in the mail and you open it and it's a picture of you going through a red light. 
and you owe $300. Have you seen those, you know? And like you like can't protest it because the, there's the license plate, there's the car, and there's you smiling in the car when you're driving <laughs> because you beat the red light. And those are those type of things. And uh, things come up. And, of course, there's uh, jury duty. You love jury duty. That's always wonderful. You get to do jury duty. They pay a minimum wage to ruin your life for a month. It's a wonderful thing. And uh, Karen recently got uh, federal jury duty in Wilmington. So you have to drive to Wilmington and do all that stuff. So that's, you know, jury duty. Duty is the operative word there. So that is that kind of thing. Then, of course, there's more serious things. Like you get the doctor says, I want to run some more tests. And we have those type of things that happen and surprises that are negative and positive. So when you think about life, Life is filled with good surprises and some negative surprises that we go through. Um, movies, I, I love movies that have like a, a, a surprise ending. Now, I'll tell you what does not have a surprise ending is a Hallmark movie. I mean, a Hallmark movie. <laughs> you know, they got four actors that act in all of those movies. And they all, you know, they just change sweaters. I mean, it's the same... <laughs> It's the same thing every time. It's like, it's like, you know, you know, it's this rich woman coming from New York City. She's successful and she's too busy for love. And she comes to her hometown and there's, you know, she takes a walk in the woods and she runs into a lumberjack that's handsome. <laughs> and, you know, he used to go to high school with her. He had a crush on her and she looks at him, thinks he's poor, but he's really invented the internet. He's terribly rich. <laughs> And then they have conflicts, she's too busy for the relationship and all that, and then it starts snowing and they kiss and that's how it ends, you know. <laughs> I don't watch Hallmark movies unless I'm really in trouble with Karen. I don't watch them because I don't have time for that, you know. I, re I read a book recently. I, I like John Grisham books. When I go on vacation, I always read a John Grisham book. And so uh, I was on vacation about a month ago. And so uh, somebody told me that, that this book, uh, Sully by John Grisham, was a bad book, one of the worst books he'd ever written. And I went to the library to get another book by Grisham, and I couldn't find the book. And uh, so that was the only book available. So I, I got this book and read it. It was an incredible book, incredible book about this uh, poor guy from Sudan that was in Civil War region and his father, you know, he comes to, actually comes to America to play in an ex exhibition game for college and he's spotted and he's really talented. But while he's at this exhibition game in America, his father gets killed by rebels and his sister gets captured and his mom and sisters end up in this refugee camp. But he's here in America trying to get him here and he's playing basketball, gets up at dawn every day to try to you know be improve his game he's doing so good and and all that and the book just it's just like so positive I'm like this is so great he's gonna he's gonna you know he's gonna make it big he's gonna make all this money and he's gonna get his family over here to America and then there's this big twist in the story that ends and really bad things happens and I didn't see it coming and it's all kind of messed up and I just really like oh my goodness I didn't see that coming they try to turn it into something good but when you think about Easter, Easter is unexpected. It's unexpected. It's the ultimate good unexpected ending. And it's just incredible. And I want to suggest today that maybe God has an unexpected positive ending for you. You know, when you think about Easter, think about Easter 
in terms of yourself, what God has for you as well. And when I think about this whole thing of Easter, you know, nobody saw it coming. And uh, you say, well, Pastor Danny, didn't Jesus tell the disciples that he was going to be crucified, put in the grave, and raised again? Didn't he tell them that clearly? Well, the answer to that is absolutely yes. He told them, but they could not see it. And for instance, in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33, it says this, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Look at verse 32. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him inside, began to rebuke him. So he spoke plainly about this. It was in the open. He was transparent. He wasn't misleading them. He was, gonna, he was telling them, you know, you think I'm a political king and I'm going to overthrow the Romans and we're going to make Israel the head of the, the, the world and all of that. But he said, it's not going to happen that way. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be put in a grave. And the third day I will be raised again. He said this plainly to them. When I was in Bible college, you know, I had this uh, professor that whenever he uh, was lecturing, his name was Dutch Coe. And when he would lecture, he taught Bible geography and a couple other classes I had with him. Unique guy. He was an interesting man. He was a fighter pilot in Vietnam before he became a Bible college professor. Interesting guy. But when he would uh, teach, he had this pointer, this silver stylus pointer. And he said when he was lecturing, he said, if I raise this pointer and I put a handkerchief on top of it and I hold it up while I'm saying something, that's going to be on the test. That's going to be on the test. And of course, you know, we're like looking for the pointer and the handkerchief, the whole class. And every time he rose that handkerchief, we wrote it down. And Jesus has got the pointer out. He's got the handkerchief out. And he's saying, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Jesus didn't give them a post-it note saying he was going to be raised from the dead. He gave them a billboard. And he said this over and over again. Look at uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 34. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and he handed over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will arise. And, you know, when you read the Easter story, you know, he, he told them over and over and over again that he was going to be raised from the dead. And, uh, you know, it says that in Luke's version that the women, it was the women that first discovered the resurrection, and which is an interesting part of the story because in the ancient world, this is not, should not be, it's not appropriate, but in the ancient world, women were considered their testimony invalid. And so it was the women that first discovered Jesus was raised from the dead. And so we see from that little detail that this wasn't something that was made up by the apostles or they wouldn't put that in there. But it says when Mary Magdalene came back to the disciples and told them that the tomb was empty and that Jesus was raised from the dead, it says it, says it seemed like nonsense to them. It seemed like nonsense to them. They didn't believe it. And, of course, Mary Magdalene, my favorite story in the Gospels about the resurrection, by far, 
is John 20, when Mary Magdalene is there in the garden. The tomb is there. It's empty. She can't figure out what's going on. And the Bible says that she is, uh, she's weeping profusely. And Jesus comes up behind her and stands next to her. And she thinks he's the gardener. And she's in emotional uh, turmoil. And Jesus is standing right there, and she doesn't know that he is right there. And she says to him, she says, she thinks he's the gardener. She says, if you've laid him somewhere, please let me know so I can go get him. So she's not thinking in terms of resurrection. She's thinking in terms of he has been, his body's been stolen. Nobody believed it. Nobody saw it coming. And so why did they not see it coming? Why did they not understand it was going to happen when Jesus had told them over and over and over again it was going to happen? Why did they not get it? It's, I think it's related to this question. Why do you and why do I constantly expect bad endings to our story? Why do we constantly expect that things are going to turn out bad? You know, we, we work hard in life and something happens and we just expect things are going to turn out bad in our life. We, we anticipate negative endings to our life. And I think the disciples, you know, maybe the problem and maybe the explanation for this is, is that they had had so many disappointments in their lives when Jesus was crucified, it was the ultimate. You know, it was dark. Uh, you know, the, everybody was scattered. It, it, it was hideous. And Jesus on the cross. And they could not imagine a positive ending to that. You know, if you have had a lot of disappointments in life, if you've had a lot of dreams that have been shattered, if you've had a lot of things go wrong in your life, uh, you know, you've been through a divorce or you have lost your job, or something has happened to a loved one that you cared a lot about, it's easy for you to begin to anticipate the future as always being negative, that there cannot be nothing good that will come out of this. Uh, I just recently uh, started fishing. I've gotten into fishing a little bit, started fishing last year, and uh, so I uh, got a little kayak I take out to go fishing, and I've gone fishing about five times this year, and this last Wednesday I went uh, fishing, and uh, I, had, I usually take my granddaughter Willow fishing with me on Wednesdays, but this day I had my grandson Nixon, so I had him sitting in the front of the kayak, and we're out at the pond, and, uh, and so... Nixon says, Papa, you think we're going to catch any fish? I said, Nixon, we're not going to catch any fish. I said, but we're out here. We're having a good time. I said, we'll do our best, but we're not going to catch any fish because, you know, I haven't been catching any fish. So, you know, you, you know my expectation toward catching fish was minuscule. We're not going to catch any fish. So we're out there, and I'm helping him cast, and I'm casting my rod. And all of a sudden, I felt like I got my rod snagged on a stump in Ingram's Pond. I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, this is so bad. You know, I'm out here, and now I've, I've snagged my hook, and I'm going to ruin this. You know, I'm losing worm, and I have to re, you know, uh, set the hook up and all that. But that stump began to move a little bit. And lo and behold, it was a bass. There was a bass on the end of that thing, and I'm reeling it in. He's jumping like a marlin in the water, you know, all around <laughs> And I'm reeling that thing, and Nixon's eyes are real big. And, uh, I mean, I could not believe it. It was actually, he was pulling the kayak around the, the, around the lake there. I mean, well, that kayak is going everywhere. This is a big bass. Here's a picture of it. I think I got a picture of it. Well, it's... <laughs> it, really, it really looks bigger, you know, when you were there. 
But, you know, I was a happy man, caught that bass, and Nixon was happy, and we were, like, so happy about catching that. But my anticipation about catching that bass was so small because I had been conditioned by the last five times out that I'm not going to catch any fish. And if you've gone through a lot of bad things in your life, a lot of disappointments, a lot of like, this didn't work out, and that didn't work out, and this didn't work out. And so you have a tendency to somehow expect the worst, to expect the worst. George Carlin was a, uh, was a kind of a, not, not the, uh, he's not a godly man, he's not a preacher. If you know who George Carlin was back in the 60s and 70s, he was kind of like a wild comedian that uh, his language was pretty bad. How many know who George Carlin is? Some of you that are older, that you're, you're my age and you're, you're having trouble raising your hand, but you're getting it up there. <laughs> but George Carlin said this, and this is so true. He said, inside every cynical person, there's a disappointed idealist. Inside every cynical person, there is a disappointed idealist. You know, that's what happens to us that get cynical. We're disappointed. We're disappointed. And, and, and when you're disappointed a lot, you don't want to hope because if you hope then you're going to be disappointed in the nth degree because you've set yourself up for this disappointment. And I think the disciples, they're just sort of like conditioned by life not to expect something great to happen in their life. And I think sometimes that when you come to church on Easter, you know, maybe sometimes we miss the big surprise of the story thinking they were all outside the tomb and they were counting down 10, 9, 8. They couldn't wait for Jesus to be raised again. It's like they would be celebrating like, you know, uh, uh, you know like the, the team that won the national basketball championship uh, this week, uh, UConn, and celebrating. We would think the disciples were out there waiting for it to happen because Jesus had told them, and they're going to like be celebrating like the UConn uh, was celebrating, the men's UConn team was celebrating when they won the national championship. But they weren't because they didn't think it was going to happen. And, and, and there's some people here today that, that you see your life going toward a dead end. You see your life going toward a place where there is no hope. You've had one disappointment after another disappointment after another disappointment, and you can't imagine that God has something great for you in the future. You know what this book of Psalms says, Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A lot of us know that psalm that's been in church. Maybe you were raised in church, you've heard that psalm. You know how that psalm ends? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And God has some goodness for you. He has some mercy for you at the end of your life. God has some good things for you. I was, uh, when I was growing up in, uh, as a young man, uh, my family, we became Christians when I was like 12 years old, and we had Christian, we didn't have Christian TV, but there were Christian programs, religious programs on TV when I was a kid, and there was this guy named Oral Roberts. Some of you have heard of Oral Roberts before, Oral Roberts University, Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma, and he get, became a little controversial at the end of his life and all that, but whatever, he, you know, God used him in a, in a special way. But he used to have this program, and they had these singers from the college, and they, their theme song was this. Something good is going to happen to you. 
Something good is going to happen to you this very day. Something good is going to happen to you. Jesus of Nazareth is passing your way. Something good is going to happen to you. And when I look at the Easter story, I see that there was this promise that, the, that Jesus was trying to give to their disciples. All they could see was darkness in the future, but God had this wonderful surprise that was so wonderful and so powerful. Now, if you are a Christian and you read the Easter story and you come to church on Easter, you by necessity must be an optimist. It's impossible to believe in the Easter story and not to be an optimist because, you know, the whole story is about optimism, that when it looked like it was over, they lowered the bloody, beaten body, the limp, dead body of Jesus on the shroud. They carried him to the tomb, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They laid him in that tomb, wrapped him with spices, and the stone was rolled across the front. The soldiers were there guarding the tomb. It looks like it's over. And then all of a sudden, on Easter morning, the stone rolls back. The angels roll the stone back. The soldiers run in fear. And Jesus takes time to fold up his clothes. It says he folded up his headpiece before he walked out of the grave. And Mary Magdalene was the first there, and she came back, and she saw it. She told the disciples what she had experienced. See, it's impossible to believe that story without being an optimist. Now, if you are an atheist today or maybe an unbeliever, and you don't believe in God, and you think that's, you know, the whole thing is sort of crazy and made up, and this sermon's not about defending the apologetics of why the resurrection makes sense, but if you are not a believer in God, here's the necessity for you. You must by necessity be a pessimist because here's what science says is going to happen. Now, we've got this wonderful uh, sun, this star that our planet revolves around every year. Now, I don't know if you have thought about this recently, but scientists are predicting that that star will ultimately die. And then that star will one day turn dark and it will no longer produce the, the light and the energy that our planet needs to survive. That's what scientists say is going to happen. I was in New uh, Jersey Mike's this week and I stepped in the restroom and washed my hands. I guess I wasn't moving and the lights went out all of a sudden. I was in the dark. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm in the dark. That's what science says is going to happen one day that all of a sudden the sun it's going to be used up all its gases and the sun is not going to exist anymore and humankind is going to die. That is the prediction of the future. That is where things are supposed to head. And scientists also say that, that the universe is expanding, you know, from according to the great bang and all that it's expanding and here's another thing that they predict that one day because the universe is expanding one day we'll be in complete darkness all the stars and all the planets will no longer be visible here on planet earth and we'll be completely surrounded in darkness so that is that's pessimistic i think and that's not what i want to believe and here's what here's why i don't believe it 
is back in uh, 312 AD, there was this guy named Constantine the Great. Now, let me ask you, how many have ever heard of Constantine the Great? If you've heard that name before, Constantine the Great. 312, his dad died in 306 AD, and Constantine was, uh, he was the, there was two emperors. There was Maxentius, who was the emperor of, uh, of Italy and North Africa. And then there was Constantine, who was the, the uh, emperor of, uh, of Gaul, Great Britain, and Spain. And so these, you have these two rival emperors. So Maxentius wanted to rule over the whole empire, so he's coming to war against Constantine. They come to Italy, and they get to the, uh, the Tiber River where the Milvian Bridge is. And listen to this. Constantine has 40,000 soldiers with him, 40,000 soldiers, and he's headed south and Maxentius has 120,000 soldiers. He's headed uh, north, and they meet at the Melvian Bridge. And Constantine knows he's outnumbered. The, uh, Maxentius has the Praetorian Guard. They have the best of the Roman army. And so he has a restless night. And the restless night, he's thinking, I'm going to get whipped tomorrow. He walks outside of his tent and he sees a vision. He sees above the sun, he sees a cross. Now, what's interesting about the story is Constantine was a Mithra worshiper. He worshiped the sun. Now, do you know why we get the name Sunday? Sunday is named after the sun god. It was a Roman name. Sunday is named after the sun god. Monday is named after the moon god. Thursday is named after Thor, Thor's day. Saturn is the name of the, the every, behind every planet was a god. Saturn, Saturday is named after Saturn. But Sunday was the, the day that was special to Constantine because he worshiped the sun. So the night before the battle, he sees a cross above the sun and he says that the next day Eusebius the historian says that he painted a cross on all the shields of his soldiers and they went into battle and they have 40,000 against 120,000 and God gave Constantine a great victory and Maxentius the rival emperor is drowned in the in the Tiber River and Constantine dedicates Sunday Sunday to the God of the Christians because the S-U-N may end but the S-O-N is eternal and will live forever and he was raised from the dead and because you believe in the S-O-N your future is optimistic because God is the creator of all things and it says when we get to heaven you read the book of Revelation t describes, the, uh, describes the city the great Jerusalem the great uh, city of Jerusalem uh, the new Jerusalem coming down and it says in it there is no sun nor moon because the Son of God is its glory and its light. So listen, Jesus is the Lord of Sunday because the S-O-N is the one that gives us absolute optimism for the future. So when you think about your future, 
And you think about the future of mankind. And when you think about the future of where things are headed, it's not one day lights out, we all die. But what we see from the resurrection is there's this incredible, surprising ending where things are positive. So you can be an optimist. You can be an optimist. And I want you to say this uh, with me right now. Just say this out loud. I believe because Jesus raised from the dead that all of history will have a positive ending. You know how it ends? doesn't end with the lights going out. The book of Revelation says it ends with a wedding. The last thing you read in the Bible, there's a great wedding and there's a party and the bride, there's a bride, which is people that are made up of the church, the bride of Christ are made up of the church, and the bride is joined with the Son of God. And this ends with a great, great wedding, and there's rejoicing, and there's food, and there's dancing, and there's celebration, because history is going toward a positive end, not a negative end. So when you think about your future, when you think about your situation, you know, it's so easy for you, like those disciples, on Easter to not expect anything good to happen. So, you know, you've gone through what you've gone through. You've gone through the turmoil, the stress, the disappointments. And so you look at your life as just more of the same. But I believe that on Easter, it's when God evades, invades our life and we, he brings his spirit into our life. And he takes what seems to be meaningless in our life and he brings order to it. He takes, you know, it says in... Uh, uh, Romans 8:28, uh, all things work together for good for those that love God. Let me ask you here this morning, those of you that are believers would just raise your hand and say, I believe and I love the Lord. Just lift your hand. I believe and I love the Lord. So that means that God's always at work in your life. And that's a promise to followers of Jesus. So when you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus takes the mess of your life and he works on it, and he causes it to be positive, and he does, it for your, does things for his glory. So God is always doing incredibly positive things. And maybe you're here today, and you know, you've got a habit you've been struggling with, and so you just assume that you're always going to be a victim to that habit. But the Bible talks so much about people finding freedom and deliverance, finding freedom from what they've been going through, what they've been in bondage to, to whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And then you've got people that, you know, you're worried about people in your family that aren't following the Lord, and you're, you're praying for them, and you're asking the Lord to work in their life, and you feel like there's nothing seemingly happening positive through your prayers. But, you know, there's a, there's a positive ending, a positive ending to many of those stories as you pray for people that are far from the Lord and don't know the Lord. When Karen's dad, we, I remember when uh, we prayed for Karen's dad, he didn't go to church and didn't, didn't think much about the Lord and thought preachers were all crooks and, and all of that. And he wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't a religious man at all. And Karen's mom found the Lord and then Karen found the Lord. And then I married Karen and all that. Uh, we all, you know, were praying for her dad and her dad just seemed to be further and further going away from the Lord. And then, then one day, uh, Karen had a dream and in the dream, she said she, she saw a, a, a big tree in this pasture, and all of her family was under the tree except for her dad. 
and there was a storm brewing in the background and she could see the storm coming in her dream and she knew that that was sort of like the judgment of God, the end of the world and she just could sense in the dream this ominous feeling and then she said in the dream she saw her father running across the pasture and as he got under the tree he said, you didn't think I was coming, did you? You didn't think I was coming, did you? And her dad found the Lord and gave all this money to the 700 Club. He's real big on Pat Robson. Gave all this money to 700 Club. We thought he could give us some of the money to our church, but he didn't. <laughs> and when he died, he was singing hymns, worshiping the Lord. Amen. You know, the prodigal son story, praying for that, you're praying for that son or that daughter. You know, you think it's not going to have a positive ending. Keep praying. The Bible says that, you know, praying and being diligent about that, praying and seeking the Lord is such a good thing. So Easter is about a good ending, a good ending, uh, not being conditioned to see things in so dark and bleak terms. We look at our world, we look at the school shootings, we look at the war in, uh, in, in Ukraine, we see all the bad stuff happening. We are conditioned to think history's gonna end in a negative way. But yet the Bible says that there's a great wedding coming, the bride of the lamb. And we can experience that. A couple of weeks ago, um, actually last week, uh, we had an Easter egg hunt with our grandkids. This is uh, our grandkids here. Uh, these are my grandkids here. We have uh, Willow on the end there, and then that's Nora, and then that's Nixon, and then there's Jack. And uh, we had this uh, Easter egg hunt last Sunday because we're all busy today. And so uh, last year when we had the Easter egg hunt for, the, for our kids, our grandkids, we had, a, each of them had a colored egg. And so when they went out, they could only get, you know, like Nixon had purple eggs. So you could only get purple eggs. Our, our goal was, was to make sure that they all got the same amount of eggs and all of that. And we realized that they didn't like that. They didn't like the idea. And we realized we were teaching them communism, actually, that everybody, <laughs> that everybody gets the same amount. No matter how, how hard you work, you're gonna get the same amount. So this year we decided to teach them capitalism. You know, uh, you know, listen, any egg you can find is yours. No pushing, no shoving, but get as many eggs as you can. And we said, there is, for each of you, there's a gold egg out there. There's a gold egg out there. And uh, you only get one gold egg. When you find the gold egg, you got it. And Karen has stuffed $10 bills in each of the eggs. And so they remember last year there was cash in the gold eggs, so they were motivated about the gold egg. <laughs> so Willow found hers. Oh, $10, she's so excited. And then, uh, then Nora found hers. And then Nixon found his, and he opened his egg. And when he opened it, the $10 bill was stuck in one end, and he was looking in the wrong end. <laughs> and he was, he's all about justice and fairness. What's the deal? I didn't get, I didn't get any money in my egg. Looking in there and looking in it. And I said, Nixon, it's in the other side of the egg. And he pulled it out and sanity was restored to our family there. <laughs> you know, we go through life looking at the empty part of the egg. We look at the empty part of egg and everything is empty. Everything is meaningless. 
Peter, the apostle Peter said to Christians that he had won to the Lord, he said, the Lord has delivered you from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers. Easter is about looking at the end that's full of promise and blessing. And there is an unexpected ending that Easter represents for history and for you. That life is not just empty, but life is full of promise. I want to ask you to, to lift your hands to the Lord at the end of this service on Easter. And those of you that have been bombarded with disappointment, bombarded with sadness, bombarded with, you know, hoped it was going to be better. And the Lord just wants to say to you on this Easter, he's got good things for you. He's got a good future for you. Opening yourself to him and his grace and his love for you. He can transform the biggest mess and make it into the most positive thing. Now, Father, I pray over these this morning that are here on Easter. Anybody that he, that's here this morning that hasn't opened their heart to Jesus yet, we pray that during this moment, Lord, they'll say, Jesus, I believe that you are real, that you've been raised from the dead, that you are the Son of God, that there is hope, that my life doesn't have to be meaningless, but it can be full, it can be rich. I pray, Lord, for your spirit to move in the lives of people here today and, and even over people that are here today with a cloud of darkness over them, cloud of darkness, cloud of gloom that they feel oppressed and sad. We thank you, Lord, for bringing new life into their heart. And let's pray this out loud together. And if you're here, to re you haven't received the Lord, we're gonna help you do that right now. And everybody's gonna pray it together. Let's just pray this. Just say this with me, everybody out loud. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me more than I can imagine. That my life is not headed toward a big brick wall, but you have promise, you have hope, you have joy for my future. I receive you, Lord, as Lord of my life. You were crucified for my sins. Every dark thing I've ever done, your blood has been shed to completely wash it away. And now, Lord, I believe that you are raised from the dead and the resurrected spirit of Jesus is coming in me now fill me with joy in Jesus name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.